On his 30th birthday, the Blues Brothers were number one. He was on the number one television show, and Animal House was the number one grossing comedy. The John and Judy relationship is really one of those things you hear about in storybooks. They've all got their opinions, but then what do they know? John said to me, I want to be an actor and create. We fell in love the moment we met. It was just high wattage from day one. Even when things were difficult, he always promised that he would try to do better. I had to trust that he loved me. That I could count on him. Yeah, sure, I'm an anarchist. I'd rather be an anarchist than a professional. My first thought was how great for him. My second thought was, I don't think he'll survive this. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I am your host, Scott White, and I have a newbie on my podcast, a first-timer. Please introduce yourself. I'm Alex Stitch. Well, don't it? I, I know you, but introduce yourself to the listeners. Oh, hello. I'm Alex Stitch. Hello, Alex. All right. <laughs> and Alex and I, we just watched the documentary Belushi. Now, I myself am a big John Belushi fan. I know I know all of his work. Now, how familiar are you with John Belushi? Minimally. Minimally. So, what do you know about John Belushi? Um, what did I know before? Yes. What did you know prior to the pod, uh, prior to the documentary? I knew that my dad loved the Blues Brothers. Mm-hmm. My dad is alive. I always do that. <laughs> uh, my dad loves the Blues Brothers. Um, I knew that I knew of Animal House. Have you seen Animal House or the Blues Brothers? I've seen the Blues Brothers many times. Because your dad loves the Blues Brothers. Yes, oh. it's one of those movies that uh, dad would turn on and mom would leave. Leave the room. Yeah. <laughs> so mom is not a Blues Brothers fan. No, I think mom is not a fun fan. She's just not a big. <laughs> Mom's not a fan of fun. No, not a big fan <laughs> of fun. Uh, so what did you take away from this documentary? In a word. Yes, one word. Well, yeah, one sentence, one thought. One thought, okay. Um, He was a tortured genius. I think that's a great way of putting it, yes. The most famous, before this documentary, the most famous uh, thing about John Belushi was the book called Wired. It was written by uh, Bob Woodward, who is, he he writes all these Hollywood biographies. The thing about Wired was it just sort of focused on the sordid part of his life. It didn't really portray him as a full person, just as this party animal. 
That makes sense. And that's consistent with the image that I have kind of, you know, you hear about, everybody knows that he, you know, died of an overdose and stuff like that, and it's very, very dark. It's, it's always been, you know, I before watching this, I really felt like, oh, no, this is just a another dark, sad drug addict, you know, all, the, all that heavy negative. The negative stuff. Yeah. Now, his wife, who was in this documentary, wrote another biography just called Belushi, which is more exploring of his good side along with his bad side, what you right. get. And I've watched it I've watched a bunch of documentaries or pseudo documentaries and I really I really enjoyed this one. Now the odd part about this one is that there's no usually when a documentary you see the person who's being in it. This was all done Audio. All the guests were audio. What did you think of that? At the beginning, when they they framed it, right, they told us what they were going to do, I was very skeptical. I was like, oh no, this is going to be like a bad YouTube series. (laughs) This is not not my style. I was very concerned. Um, But maybe about 10% of the way through the movie, um, I just forgot. I forgot that that was even a thing. It just seemed so natural. Yeah, it was it was a very natural, very flowing documentary. Yeah. I did another podcast called The Final 24, which was sort of a pseudo-documentary about the last 24 hours of Belushi's life. Whoa. And, and it concentrated more on the drugs and the people he was with. Mm-hmm. And it had Dr. Drew in it. And I'm not a big fan of Dr. Drew. I don't know who that is. Dr. Drew is this Hollywood doctor. He did celebrity rehab. In my opinion, he cashes in on celebrities' problems. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. He's made a career out of, like, celebrity rehab. It was on MTV or something like that. These celebrities who really needed help went to this, in my opinion, fake doctor. Yeah. And didn't get the help they needed. Disgusting. And uh, and he he's on that documentary as the medical side, which the sort of that the sort of kills that documentary for me. Right. Any no legi- credibility. Any, no no legitimacy. Right. And this documentary was weird because you're actually hearing from people who have already passed on, like Harold Ramis and Penny Marshall and mm-hmm. Carrie Fisher. Yeah. Oh. There's a part in the documentary where Carrie Fisher's talking about being an addict. Yes. And about, it's not about being, it's not about being, uh, it's not, the addict is not the hard part. Being sober is the hard part. Yeah. We were up in Martha's Vineyard. And I just remember him stripped to the waist with his belly out. And he was sort of howling at the moon then saying, you and I are like we're addicts. He was mostly clean for over a year. Well, that must have been a screaming hell for him. Drugs aren't the problem. Sobriety is the problem. Because he had no support group to sort of tell him how to deal with what comes up when you stop doing drugs. You're not doing drugs for no reason. And so once your management medication is removed, all those feelings that it's been sitting on come up and you have no coping skills. And the fact that she eventually died of a drug overdose as well is kind of ironic. That was really, like, hearing that from her 
with all the context that we have was really jarring. Mm-hmm. Very sad. It I is- listened to her. Um, I listened to the Princess Diarist. Oh yes. On uh, as an audiobook mm-hmm. on Audible, and um, she narrates it, so it's very intimate, right? Right. Yeah. So. It, and her, you can just tell in her voice too that she's lived a rough from hearing her as Princess Leia in Star Wars in 1976 to her to her later life. You can just just tell in her voice that she's lived a rough life just by how rough her voice has become over the years. Mm-hmm. She also she sounds so easy and casual. I really love uh, what Carrie Fisher became toward the end of her life. Oh yeah, I. I like the fact that she had a sense of humor in Carrie Fisher in the Blues Brothers. Oh, I don't remember. She I was, guess the, I need she to was watch the woman that was she was the woman that was trying to kill Jake with the flamethrower and the. Oh my God! Right. Okay. That was Carrie Fisher. Yes. Oh my goodness! I remember. <laughs> How much of Saturday Night Live of John Belushi do you know of? Um, I was familiar with maybe fifty percent of the clips that they used. Okay. In the documentary. Because I noticed you were laughing quite a bit at the clips. Yeah, a lot of them I had never seen. Like, I hadn't seen those specific bits, but, it, like, the samurai thing is so iconic. Right. You know, so I'm, I'm like, aware of these things. You see, like, a little bit on, like, I love the whatever. I Yeah, I love the 70s. Right. Exactly, right. yes. So, kind of like that stuff. Um, but <laughs> seeing them with the full context, right, the way that they were given to mm-hmm. us, that they're much longer clips than what I'd seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, usually uh, in, in things like those montages that are giving you an, uh, you know, an idea of that time, um, you see just like a facial expression. <laughs> but seeing it in the context of an actual, like, you know, like a full bit. A full bit, yes. Yeah, um, was... There's nothing worse than something being taken out of context. Context? Content. Context. Yes. I think I'm saying that right. So to see the full thing is not... And just to capture, you know, the, the flavor of what it was supposed to be. Right. There's more depth to it than funny faces. Now, what did you know of the friendship between Dan Aykroyd and John Belushi? Did you know that one... I knew that they were close, mm-hmm. right? Because, the, I mean, the Blues Brothers was the thing that... That was in my house. My dad had a Blues Brothers refrigerator magnet. Like, he was into it. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, and in that movie, you can see that they are in love. Yes. You know, they are so in love. I believe at one point, Dan Aykroyd said, we, we, we met and we immediately fell in love. Mm-hmm. And that's tough for a man to say about another man. Sure. In a, in a plutonic way. Because men are just not wired that way. Sure. So the fact that he was just able to admit that, I think, is is fantastic. It's beautiful, and you can definitely see it in the film. Um, it, it, like I remember feeling really positively about the bromance. Mm-hmm. You know, even when I was like younger, watching it. <laughs> like that's the best part of the movie is how much they love each other. In my opinion. Yes, absolutely. I agree with that. Now, so, and you've never seen the movie Neighbors? I take it. No, I haven't. Okay, I haven't. They're at sort of enemies in that movie. Right. And just to have that be their last screen appearance together, you don't get you don't get the bromance in it as you do right. in the Blues Brothers. That makes sense. From the clips it almost looked like an experimental film. It's there is actually a fantastic chapter in Judy Belushi's The Widow's book about right. neighbors. And 
a lot of people blame this movie for Belushi's downfall for two reasons. One is that got him back on cocaine. Because when he did, he did the movie before that he did was Continental Divide. And he was clean and he was sober. He lost weight. He was looking good. And then he did the movie Neighbors. And it was just conflict after conflict. And then they started doing night shoots. And everybody started using cocaine uh, during the night shoots to keep up. And so that's what got him back on cocaine. And the movie made money, Mm -hmm. but it was not a critical darling. Like Animal House. And they they did, they made it uh, clear in the film too that 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 seemed to lead to his downfall. Yeah, because he needed a hit after that. So that was another thing. So he had that pressure on his shoulders that he needed a hit after this. Because Continental Divide wasn't a hit either. They uh, they weren't flops, but they weren't... I mean, when you come out of the gate with Animal House and the Blues Brothers, yeah, it's hard. That's a hard line to keep going. Yeah, those were both cultural moments. Both big hits and cultural moments. You, you put it fantastically. Another thing which I took away, which I knew... There was a lot of stuff in this movie that I hadn't seen. The, the, the home movies. Aww. I really enjoyed those. I'd never seen those before. So those obviously came from, from Judy. And, I, and he, there was love letters throughout this documentary. Oh, God. Which obviously came from Judy. They had an actor reading him. Just the, the love that Belushi had for his wife. I, that was tearing him apart too. He loved his wife, but he he loved drugs more. Not I don't want to say love wow, drugs. Wow, that's but, problematic to say. Yeah, that he, he he couldn't he couldn't quit drugs. And as they say in the movie, it's a it's an addiction, not a right, not a choice. Right? Yeah. No. Um. No amount of loving someone can mm-hmm. fix an addiction. Yes. You can't. It's you could be perfect. And your partner, if they're going to do that, they're going to do that. And that's not. Yeah. Yeah. Saying that he loved drugs was, uh, uh, I should not have said that. <laughs> uh, he couldn't get over drugs, which right. is, which was just a horrible thing. And that's just got to be tough on a person when you love that person and you just see with not only, Ju- I guess the two closest people in his life was his wife Judy and Dan Aykroyd. Right. And both seeing him able, just going down that rabbit hole and not being able to do anything about it. Right. Has got to be tough. I can't even imagine. What did you, it's not, it's touched upon lightly in this documentary, but did, did you know anything about the the clash between him and Chevy Chase? No. Well, I did. There, There's some documentary about, um, I think it's it's about National Lampoon. Oh yeah, uh, I believe it's like buy this magazine or I'll shoot this dog or yeah, yeah, something like that. I, I know the I know the documentary you're talking well, about. Well, I watched that and that that actually touched on it. Oh, so it I did. Was, I was a little bit you know familiar with it. And I knew that too, but I was actually there's a couple of clips of Chevy in this documentary singing the praises of John Belushi. Mm-hmm. Which is tough because Chevy is an alpha male like Belushi was. Right. So for a, for another alpha male to compliment, for an alpha male to you know compliment another alpha male, that just proves how talented Belushi was. 
Well, I mean, that can also be like um, a move, you know, like well, a strategic you know, move. That's true too. It. I don't want to come across. Yeah, you know what? You're you're absolutely right. That could be a move. And I think like, from from that other documentary, they really really went in heavy on how much of a bastard Chevy Chase was. That's pretty much universally known. Yeah. <laughs> that Chevy Chase was not a good person, and 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 he's, he might have mellowed. Now, but he was not. I don't think so. Have you heard about the drama with the show community? Yes. <laughs> well, yeah. I well, mean, that's like... not. Yeah, that's not true. <laughs> but the, but they mentioned in the documentary that from high school to Second City to National Lampoon Radio, John was always the guy. Mm-hmm. And then when Saturday Night Live came on the air, Chevy was the guy. Yeah. And he did not. He could not handle that. He had trouble handling that. Right. And Penny Marshall got on there and just said that, you know, he would just complain. It's like, and he even had insecurities about, am I funnier than, am I funnier than Chevy? And Penny was like, it's not, don't compare yourself to Chevy. You do, as they would say, you do you, boo. Uh, Right. (laughs) Yeah, I probably shouldn't (laughs) be saying that at my age. I'm totally thrown off by... You do you, boo, coming yes, out of your mouth. out of my mouth. Well, I'll, 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 I'll throw an old man phrase in later. What are we... Where were we? We're, we're talking about <laughs> Belushi trying to handle not being the main guy. Oh, anymore. yeah. Well, you know, anybody who's been around performers has seen that happen, that mm-hmm. dynamic between, between guys. It is mainly between guys because I've mentioned this before <laughs> in... Because they also touch in this documentary how Belushi was sort of mis- a misogynist as well and said that he didn't like doing the sketches written by the women on Saturday Night Live and he, he felt that women were not funny. It was difficult working with John. I don't know whether it was ego or ambition or the drugs, but he didn't seem to respect the women on the show. He was very hard on two of the women writers. And kind of just made it a categorical, I don't like their work, I don't want to do their work kind of thing. And of course, they often wrote for Gilda, and I think she felt he was being mean and unfair. Even so, John would do stuff like refusing to be in things we wrote and saying that girls weren't funny. And I mean, believe me, all those men who are accusing John of sexism, I don't think their records are too clear either. John had to always look like he was the boss. It was, a, you know, a descent into hell. Mm-hmm. Now, how did you feel about that? And as a female comedian yourself, have you ever run into anything like that? Well, I mean, of course. Mm-hmm. Of course. I think that um, it's a forgivable sin, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I, it's trite, but the times. He wasn't a saint. Everyone knows this. <laughs> um, and it's, it's, a huge, uh, it's a huge problem, people saying that, uh, women can't be funny. Um, I think that, you know, I was actually, I was just talking to somebody about this yesterday. Um, it's really difficult for women to break out of what we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to do. Um, I'm probably going to sound like a jackass because I'm making a lot of <laughs> generalizations, but, um, hey, I just said you do you, boo. So you did, yeah. I can't, can't get much <laughs> and worse it's, than it's, that. Nope, it's you, you can never unhear that. <laughs> and you continue to do it. Uh, yeah, it, it was. might be the third 
time. It might now. be the third time. I don't know Woo. when to quit. Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. No, uh, yeah, no. Classic interrupt interruption from a man. Yeah, I mean, of course, women can be funny, but um, I think that there, there's a tendency to um, gravitate toward personas that are not relatable for most comedy audiences. Um, I think in the case of John Belushi, um, it sounded, and maybe this is just, I'm just hearing exactly what the documentarians intended for me to, but it seemed like um, it it was more of a power play than him actually not thinking that they were good writers. It seemed like he was, uh, you know, trying to assert his dominance in any way he could, and women are easy targets. That is true because it has often been said that, and I've heard other people say this, is when they were on a set with Belushi, he would test you, whether being a man or a woman. He would test you to see how far he could push you around. And mm -hmm. if he could push you around, he would not respect you. But if you stood up to him, he would respect you. And there's also sort of a contradiction, not a contradiction, but it's said that he brought Gilda Radner into the National Lampoon Radio Hour. So he obviously recognized how funny and talented she was right. to bring her in. But there's also a scene where Jane Curtin also takes a takes a stab at uh, at Belushi. And out of the three women on the original show, Jane Curtin had the biggest beef with that. She was the one who 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 had the biggest insult with John not respecting or not thinking women were funny. I think Gilda and Lorraine sort of had the maybe the mindset that you had like he was just testing the waters, but uh, Jane Curtin was really, that really, really bothered her. I'm super bugged by misogyny. Um, I I get, if I'm in a bad mood, I am not going to pretend like it's, I don't hate somebody. Right. I'll tell you to your face. <laughs> um, but the, when you're, when you have a, the kind of a mind that recognizes um, good writing, you can forgive a lot from an asshole <laughs> You know, if, if somebody is a dick, but they're a great writer, I mean... Or a performer, which falls back in the Chevy Chase. It's like Chevy Chase is such a dick, but he was such a great performer right. that people let it slide. For sure, for mm -hmm. sure. Writing, writing, performing. I Really what I'm getting at is, is comedy, mm -hmm. right? If they're great at it, they can kind of be a dick. You know what I mean? It, it, their, their energy is infectious. And I've seen that. I've seen what you're talking about. It's like that person is a horrible person, mm -hmm. but God damn it, they're funny. Right. So, and it, it, I, I don't know. I get excited mm. when I when I'm around people who are smart and funny. I don't really give a shit if they are <laughs> assholes. Can I curse on this? Absolutely. Fucking okay. <laughs> you I do you, care. boo. Oh, good God. <laughs> oh. Anyway. Um, yeah, I would much rather be around um, witty assholes than boring people who were very kind. Well, they're also being transparent. It's like, this is who I am. I don't know. Transparency doesn't really absolve anybody of being shitty. It doesn't absolve them, but you know. it's They're not hiding it. I suppose. <sighs> the devil you know. His family life. They touch on that. Oh. 
is that he, they were Al, uh, Albanian, and yeah. he was actually uh, Belushi was ashamed of his family mm-hmm. because they were immigrants and they didn't speak they didn't speak good English, right? And and he it seems like he spent his entire life trying to get the respect of his father, and I don't know if I don't know if he ever got it. What did you think of that? Yeah, I mean, I agree. What was really fun about that? Uh, God, I hate, I hate what I just said. What was really fun about that? Come on. I I noticed an interesting parallel. Um, it reminded me of Freddie Mercury, somebody who came from immigrants mm-hmm. and became this like larger than life figure. Uh, they had his brother Jim Belushi, who he himself has become famous as well. You could just tell that. Jim learned a lot from John how to how to handle things. Not only are there clips in this documentary, but there's animation, and I I, I thought the animation looked great in this. Or what did you think about it? it? That was another thing that made it feel really YouTubey for me at at first. At first, um, I don't know how much YouTube you've consumed. <laughs> Probably not very much. Um, but there, that that style of animation and voiceover is really popular, um, and it it just it felt it unsettled me at the beginning. I was like, oh no, <laughs> it was another one of those. Yeah, like it was a factor in that uh, initial wariness. Um, but that's another thing that over the course of the film, it becomes less and less noticeable. Like it's just it's very neatly blended into it and then also when they when they cut from like when they when he's suddenly a kid like the animation is illustrating him as an adult doing something wild yes. and then for a moment they uh it's a, it's a chi- the child version the child of belushi comes out and yes and that just that like fucked me up that was so beautiful it was beautiful but the one that fucked me up the most is uh, they were talking to Don Novello, who wrote Noble Rod, uh, Father Guido Sarducci. I don't know if you know that character. He plays that character, Father Guido Sarducci. But he's talking about how Belushi is just alone in Los Angeles, and the animation goes from him as an adult to him as a child. And you just picture Belushi as this child alone in Los Angeles, surrounded by people. Now, they don't like I said, in this documentary, they don't cover it. But the last couple of days of Belushi's life, he was surrounded by bad people. When he says he's alone, he wasn't alone alone, but he didn't have any friends there. He didn't have anybody looking out for him. Right. So he, he was alone. <clears throat> Another thing I found interesting was, at one point in there, uh, a, a journalist or someone... Uh, compares him to Lou Costello of Abbott and Costello. Right, and he hated that. He hated that. (laughs) And usually when you're compared to a classic comedian, it's a compliment. Right. But he hated it. You don't have a cigarette on you, did you? Did you grow up in Chicago? Yes. Uh, Are you Italian? No, I'm not. I'm Albanian. Who was the little guy in Abbott Costello? Was that that was Costello? Do people ever compare you to No. No? What's your opinion? I don't like him. He's tough. 
No, I don't. Uh, why? I don't think he's funny. How do you see yourself? I don't see myself as uh, any type at all. I see myself as a new type, you know. I take each thing as it comes, trying to bring you whatever energy that I have, which makes it different than other performers. You know? I don't want to just things that are new. And I believe it was just because I'm the new regime. That's the old regime. I'm not right. I'm not doing this old stuff. I'm blazing a new a new path in comedy. That reminds me of uh, ja- the Jackie Chan quote where he's like, I'm not the next Bruce Lee. I'm the first Jackie Chan. Exactly. Yeah. And it's like I said, it's it's usually taken as a con- well, you're like so and so. And you don't want to be like so and so. You want to be you. You want to be you, and you want to be the best you you can. Right, the amazing, remarkable you. The amazing, remarkable you. And Belushi only lived 33 years, but Jeez. he became the most amazingly remarkable him that he could. And I miss the parts, or I miss the fact that, like most of the Saturday Night Live cast, uh, branched out into other things, dramatic roles. He was being pigeonholed as. The, the character from Animal House. Right, the, the wild thing. The wild thing. And he was trying to break out of that, and I don't think he had enough time to break out of that. Yeah. That's really, really fucking sad. Mm. God. It's really, it, it's really unfortunate that all of this new um, understanding of addiction wasn't a thing back then and that it that is part of what really broke my heart because it like when you when they are going over the love letters the things that he was saying i've heard those things before from people that i know you know what i mean and so i recognize those thought patterns and how fragile it is and how it's not his fault so to to think about the fact that he was going through all of that during a time where this was highly stigmatized and then even you know what I knew of him was old like it was I had an outdated opinion right because what I remember of him was being told yeah he he was a you know fucking drug addict he died of an overdose what a moron right whereas right. now there's you know a better understanding so it's it's just sad that his legacy for so long is so marred by that um instead of just you know highlighting his genius and that was the problem a lot of people had with the Bob Woodward book is that they sort of ignored all that and now with this new stuff coming out by his wife, this new documentary, I think we're getting a better picture. For some reason, I'm thinking of Bella Lugosi, who was the original Dracula. And he had a morphine addiction in the 50s. Oh. He went into rehab and got better, but they reported they didn't report that he kicked morphine. It was like, oh, he was a morphine addict. Right. So they concentrated more on him being a morphine addict than the fact that he kicked morphine. Right. Also, even if he never had, he's a human being. He is a human being. You know? Like, mm-hmm. that's just... Ugh, like, it's... It's like if you're describing somebody by their worst quality. Like, if you meet a baby, that baby is a fucking <laughs> shit machine. That, <laughs> all you, it does is... You know? If you meet somebody on a bad day, you get the worst of them. That's how basically it was for, you know, the entire, Belushi's entire legacy from that point. And it, 
it it doesn't cover the fact that he was a, you know he was a a beautiful person he loved his friends he loved his he loved his family he he wanted to do the best work possible it just came down to him dying with a needle in his arm in a hotel Jesus. and nobody should be remembered as that you should be remembered for just all the glorious stuff that you did and i'm glad i'm glad it's getting out more that he was a a whole a, a human whole, a whole human being with his flaws you know, with his greatness and with his flaws, it's all it's all coming out now. Yeah. And I really appreciate how much of that playful energy was highlighted in this um, in the Belushi documentary that we just watched. That was heartwarming to me. They they talk about how uh, he would do anything for a laugh. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, you hear that about a lot of comics or comedians. Or would he be considered a comedian? I would say he would be a, He's not, he didn't a comic. Up. I would say he would be a comic actor. A comic actor. Yes. So with people like that, you see that all the time. And then they show him uh, cheering someone up on camera, right? It's part of you know some movie, I think. Animal House. It's, so it's part of Animal House, um, where he's like smashing a can on his head, and then he breaks the beer yeah. bottle over his head. And they were talking about that's how he was in real life. That he just wanted people to be happy. He was trying to spread joy. He hated people to be sad. He hated when he ran into a sad person. It was mm-hmm. his. It was his goal to cheer that person up. That's just the sweetest. It is the sweetest thing, and it's a it's a fantastic quality to have. Instead of being apathetic, right to that person, it's like, well, they're in the bad mood. I'll just come back when they're not in the bad mood. Yeah, you know, help them get out of the bad mood. I think that that high level of empathy is. Um... Something that that is a risk. It, it's like it denotes a risk for addictive behavior, for like an addictive personality. When you just feel everything, mm. you feel everything, you know, and you're like, I gotta calm this down <laughs> yes. somehow. It's a lot. And I think that's where the drugs came in with Belushi. Yeah, he needed exactly. the, yeah, he needed the drugs to calm these things down because, because it's so overwhelming. It's so overwhelming. When you want to help everybody, yeah, it's it's incredibly overwhelming. I deeply relate to that because I feel everything all the time, and it's difficult. You know, like it, that's that's so much to bear. The world isn't built for that kind of person. It should be, it should be, but it's just yeah. A lot of things that should the world is slanted away from things that should sh- be. should be a hopeful stance. One of the things I knew, I heard you go, oh. Uh, <laughs> oh, the part in Ghostbusters yeah. was that Bill Murray played was meant for Belushi. I did know it. I know. I knew it. Uh, like in the back of my mind. But um, what really, what made me exclaim at that moment was the context that Dan Aykroyd, 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 Dan Aykroyd. Yes, I thought I was. I've been told I say it wrong all the you time. You say it super weird. No, I didn't. Yes. Anyway, Dan Aykroyd, <laughs> that he was um, that he was trying to um, reach out to John when he was in L.A. That he was, you know, that ultimately became when he died. Mm-hmm. Um, that he was reaching out to him to reassure him with that script or like with that idea, that premise. Um, that. It didn't really hit me how tragic that was until that moment. If he he died in 82, Ghostbusters started filming in 83. It's like if he would have just hung on, maybe, well, you, you can't be for sure, but you know, 
Ghostbusters, one of the greatest comedies of all time, one of the most beloved comedies of all time. And he would have been he would have been in it. I struggle with that if he had just waited. I'm not sure if I well, if I like that logic. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not if, if he would have just it was no, no, no! Don't, don't, don't! Back it's down. not that. No, it's not that. If he would have just, it's, I make it. If he would have just waited not to die, that's basically. <laughs> it's like I don't think he. I guess if I'm saying, if fate would have waited, but I, I don't know. I don't like that either. I like so we have what we have, you know, and uh, I think the it's good. You know, everybody fucking loves Ghostbusters, right? What if what if he had done it and it had been like that situation uh, that Lauren Michaels talked about, where he made him do the show when he wasn't capable of doing it and it was garbage. In the course of twenty some odd shows a year, now suddenly John was often a bigger star than the host. He was making Nineteen Forty One. There's a short film that I've never run with John sitting around a pool. Because it was the one time John missed a show. Right. Because he broke his leg or hurt his leg or something. Or infection. Or whatever. Okay. Yeah. Whatever it was, he couldn't get on the plane, blah, blah, blah. And they made this film for the show, which was all about kissing John's ass. Mm-hmm. I think we all just felt, hey, you can't do this. Yeah, everyone says that, you know, people didn't realize John Fromm was as bad as it was because he always pulled it together at 1130. Yeah. Kate Jackson show. Yes. What Here's exactly? the story. Okay. John is the fucking center of the show. So it's about Fred Silverman. He's playing Fred Silverman. You all remember Freddie Silverman? He'd been out with like Ronnie Wood, you know, and he was a mess and he was coughing. You know, he looked terrible. And the doctor says, John can't go on. And I was just somewhere between rage and uh, very little sympathy. And uh, I said, well, wh- what happens if he doesn't? He said, well, he could die. And I said, what are the odds of that? And he said, 50-50. And I said, I can live with those odds. John looked at me, he opened his eyes, and he did the show. And it was bad. I will say this. Uh, Lauren Michaels sounds very, very... He, he sounds like a pompous ass. In, I love it. Yeah, I th- but he's very discerning and intelligent. He's you very know? discerning and intelligent. He didn't. Co- he didn't color. He didn't color code it. He didn't can- uh, sugar coat it. It's not color coded or, it, or, or sugar coated. It's not coded at all. Just had a vest and pants. Because <laughs> he's like he missed that show because of his earache, and Lauren's like, and everybody had everybody from Center Live has a Lauren Michaels impression, right? But the, the reporter go. Lauren goes, he missed that show because of a, a broken leg. The director said, no, it was the ear infection. And Lauren's like, whatever. Basically saying, that's not the point of the story. Right. The point of the story of, is, is, is this what happened? Is that I got screwed over. Is what I got screwed <laughs> over. Yeah, I don't know. I like, uh, again, I like assholes. I like people who are jerks um, because I think that they move the world forward. Um, Lauren Michaels is successful for a reason. He is an ass, mm. but that's great, you know. We wouldn't have Saturday Night Live if it that's, wasn't for you know him being an ass. With the good and the bad, sure. Mm-hmm. But you know, yeah, I, I don't, uh, I don't know. I guess I just don't value niceness. <laughs> to, to each their own. Right. <laughs> the excuse, and we've we heard it in the documentary a couple times, except for that. 
eventually did catch up with him. In the beginning of Belushi's career, everybody would always say, sure, he did drugs, but it never affected his performance. And I think that might have been another reason why he wasn't getting help was, well, he's doing drugs, but he's okay on the stage. But where, I don't think that he was as heavy into heroin at that time. Uh, no, I don't think he was, was into heroin at all. I think it so was So that's more. the difference, I think, is that those drugs were helping him, mm. whereas heroin was not. I don't know if he was in... I guess... Was they he mentioned the, that he did heroin back then. They mentioned that toward the beginning mm-hmm. of the film. But it wasn't, I don't think, the most present thing. It was after the painkiller issue, right, that it became... A huge problem? I think the painkiller added... It was just another thing that he was on now. Right. And so that often leads to heroin use. The painkiller addiction. The opiate, yes. Yeah. Well, he was doing speedballs at the end, which was a mixture of heroin and cocaine. Yeah, I don't I, just, I don't know anything about drugs. I have <laughs> no context. Which is good. That's good. Right. I, I've, never, I've never been in that uh, world. I have... Uh, enormous empathy for it, but it's just not ever been my, you know, experience. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. To to me, it's like John Belushi is the ultimate sad clown. I've seen other documentaries. He loved his family. He loved his wife. He loved his work. He loved his friends. He loved everything except himself. It, oh, oh, what's that one line? It goes, I get mad at people who like me. Because yeah. I can't believe somebody would like an asshole like me. It's like that. God, that I, I, so I have been talking to somebody recently who just, who almost said exactly that to me. It's so, like that archetype is, uh, I don't know. It's so beautiful and tragic. They don't really, Belushi didn't realize how much he meant to everybody. He couldn't get out of his head. He couldn't get out of his head. he felt everything. He felt everything. And... I think he also had a persona, like uh, uh, Keith Moon of The Who, he was the drummer, he sort of had the same thing. He was a wild man, and everybody expected him to be a wild man. Because remember at the end of the, uh, close to the end of the documentary, he's singing a song. Oh, God. And he brings up cocaine. That absolutely... And the audience just erupts. It's like, I'm doing cocaine, and the audience was just like, yeah! I was just like, oh. <laughs> That song wrecked me. I am emotionally wrecked. I'm going to be a bitch all day because of that song. Jesus Christ. They did that to us on purpose. Well, no, it's... They put that song right there in that movie on purpose to destroy us. They did because they played that song over the paramedics arriving (laughs) to the hotel. It's so sad. (laughs) That's the part where I teared up. Oh my god! And Ackroyd, he introdu- you know he's like my brother wants to get intimate with each and every one of you. So, so it was really it wasn't Jake Blues; it was actually John Belushi singing singing this to these people. And when you have that persona, what's really amazing is that it, it, throughout the film, they are, they there are snippets of his conversations with the press. Right, interviews with him where mm-hmm. he's like, I don't want to talk about that. Fuck you. Fuck this. I'm not going to do it. <laughs> Deflecting questions, sometimes humorously, sometimes not at all. Sometimes, sometimes not like, at all. Hey, fuck you. I'm not going to answer that <laughs> shit. Um, but then for, so he had to get into 
a character and have that character play him. Right? Right. He's himself through the other side Mm -hmm. of the character and that's how he could be vulnerable. That's crazy. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's so intense to consider. John Belushi isn't vulnerable, but Jake Blues is vulnerable. When he's acting like John Belushi. When he's acting like John Belushi, yes. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) That is quite a bit. It is quite a bit. So you were you were emotional. I was too. I was emotionally drained by this. It's it was so so goddamn beautiful, but it it's incredibly tragic. Um, it wasn't sensationalistic, which I enjoyed. It wasn't you know TMZ. Oh right, crap. you'll never guess. Yes. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was very tender. It was a it was a tender love letter to John Belushi. It really yeah, you know what? That's a beautiful way to put it. That's a beautiful way to put it. I agree. Now were there any parts of the documentary well you said at the beginning the voiceovers and the animation, you eventually got used to that. Was there part right. of the documentary that you didn't enjoy or that you thought that might be a little too much or maybe expand a little on that? Hmm. I don't know. What a weird question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know how to answer that at all. Um. What did I not enjoy? It's not maybe that maybe you not didn't enjoy or you. They hit on something. It's like I I wish there was more of that or maybe we didn't need to see that. Hmm. With me, I would like to have explored more of the relationship if there was one between him and his brother Jim. Because we know the relationship between him and Dan, right. and we know the relationship basically between him and Chevy and him and Judy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's not a lot of information of the relationship between John Belushi and Jim Belushi. I think that I, I think I know why. Maybe I'm just crazy. I'm going to speculate pretty hard because I have no idea. Okay. But I think that you. So we know that John was very like private. He did not want to answer personal questions and stuff like that. I would imagine that Jim must be similar, right? And it, he's got a pretty easy way to deflect. You know, let's make it about my brother and not about me. That's true. That you is know? absolutely true. So I think it's probably a, a shared attribute. They're both just private people. He's he's done very well for himself, Jim Belushi. Yeah, definitely. Do you? But he's probably, he's still in the shadow of his brother, John. Of course. That's got to that's gotta be tough. It's like, I have made this living for myself. I have made this name for myself. But in the end, I'm always going to be John Belushi's little brother. He doesn't seem to be jaded by it. And this is with minimal exposure. But it, he seems like... It, it seems to me that he is grateful that he didn't have to be the sensational one. That he could be a performer, but kind of have a steady way of performing and just kind of coast and not because I'm sure it was jarring to see someone that you love go through that you know what I mean the yeah. rise and fall and how everything's so crazy mm-hmm. you can't have two brothers who are completely manic <laughs> you know what I mean right there's always a stoic one I thoroughly 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 enjoyed this documentary it's lighthearted in some places and like you said it's very very touching in other places it gives us a, a well-rounded uh, picture of Belushi. Uh, I agree. I agree. I think. I think. I just thought it's something sexist, and I'm going to share it with you now. 
Um, I think that it's because it's from the perspective of a woman. And it's nuanced because women are more nuanced and better than men. I'll agree with that. <laughs> so I think it made for a better a better movie. Women are, are much better at dealing with their emotions and promoting their emotions. Promoting their emotions. That's an interesting way of phrasing it. <laughs> well, they're not afraid of their emotions. It makes me think of like a... A comedy flyer for my emotions. <laughs> Tonight, <laughs> sadness, despair, anger, 8 p.m. Ooh, I could charge people $5 for... You could just, just be angry. Right. I'm promoting my emotions. Mm-hmm. My goodness. So, any last words on this documentary? I think that it's it's a beautiful thing to cast a new light on his legacy and um, I hope that in five years, people will think of John Belushi as um, an incredibly talented artist and performer and a sensitive soul and a cautionary tale, sure. But, um, you know, with all that stigma that he's been so, you know, the unfortunate recipient of uh, will be gone. So you would recommend this Definitely. I would definitely recommend this documentary as well. I would say maybe watch it. I, I brought this up before, the uh, the final 48. Watch it as a companion piece to this one and see how much better this is than that. How how it's, it's more of a love letter to a Belushi rather than just a hands-down cautionary tale that the other one is. Exploitation. Exploitation. Someone's uh, tragedy. Flight. Now, and it's not, I mean, that other documentary does have Dan Aykroyd and his wife in there, so there is some legitimacy in there, but it also has... They can't help the final cut. They can't help the final cut. And it's much more sensationalistic, but that's... I would say if you do watch that, don't pay money for it. Steal it. It's on YouTube. They're going to make money off of the clicks, and that makes me grumpy. Oh. Someone's making money. Somebody's making money. I don't want anyone to make any money off of it. But we do want... Legally download it instead of watching it on YouTube, so no one makes money. Nobody's making money. But we do want people to make money on this one, on Belushi. Yes. Give them your money instead. So it is on... It's. I bought a DVD. That's how we watched it. And But it's a Showtime documentary, so it's obviously streaming on Showtime. But uh, definitely check this out. It's a—I don't want to say it's a fun watch. It's just—it's an emotional watch uh, from everything from everything that we we uh, we get from this documentary. Now, before we go, is there anything that you would like to promote? Where can people find you? How can people get in touch if you want to give us that information? Yeah. So uh, my Instagram handle is at the ditch mouse, like a rodent in a ditch like that but the the, the, the rodent it's in not a ditch. just any rodent in a ditch uh-uh. it's the, the rodent in the ditch exactly so that is my instagram handle um I, I i don't know really what to promote other than um i i work the door for the riot which is a, a comedy production dealio that uh we we put on shows at rudyard's pretty much every weekend uh, I, think I want to say that's the sexiest stand-up show out there. Do you want to try that again? No. <laughs> I'm going to leave it in. 
sexiest. The sexiest. Yep. Um, a new word meaning. It means uh, people who are sexy wearing sheets. Sexiest. Oh no, that sounds like um, like a clansman. Or like a like a very attractive clansman. That's not good at all. Or toga. Okay, okay, yeah, no, thematic, <laughs> animal, thematic house, animal house. Animal house. See, <laughs> oh, I, I'm bringing it all around. You're like, not the KKK. I'm, we are not the KKK. We're, instead. <laughs> we're the animal house. Right, so the riot, they put on amazing comedy shows, um, and I sometimes am there uh, taking tickets. Um, Is there a webpage for the riot? You can follow it at the riot HTX <laughs> on Facebook and Instagram. Um, Facebook is uh, great because you can, you know, say that you're attending an event and you can buy tickets straight from the link. Um, I think you can do that on Instagram, too. I don't know. I'm, I'm middle old. I'm not old, but I'm not young. I'm not Instagram young. You know what I mean? You're not Instagram young, but you're not tapioca old yet. Right. Exactly. You nailed it. <laughs> I nailed it. The inside jokes. <laughs> great for podcasts. All right. Well, this has been another episode of the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. I would like to thank my guest, Alex Ditch, for doing this. You're welcome. Hopefully, we'll have you back on here again. I had a great time doing this. And we'll see everybody here next time on the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. Bye. To support this podcast, please go to www.patreon.com slash Scott White and give what you're able. If you're listening on iTunes, please give a review. That should help people find this podcast. And no matter what services you use to listen, please leave feedback. We always want to improve. Thank you for listening to the Dan Aykroyd Podcast. The last time I heard his voice, he was on the answering machine, and it was very slurred, and, you know, he was fucked up, and he was hurting. And I called and tracked him down, and it was, you know, he was sad and defeated. He was sad and defeated when I said, John... Come on, man, you've got, you've, you've got to get home. You've got to get home. You've got to leave Hollywood alone for a while. Let's approach it from another angle. I'm writing something great here for us that's going to solve everything. I was writing Ghostbusters. So he said, okay. It's just that his sensitive side caved in, and he was numbing the pain and fighting it off. It seemed like, uh, you know, could never get out of that and I thought, you know, I better finish this page, this paragraph, and get the fuck out there. But I didn't get too much time. Of course, you know, I carry that with me forever. My brother Jake would like to become increasingly intimate with you. And he feels that He can unwind a little bit, sing a song about his personal life. Here's my brother Jake. Thank you.
got some whiskey from a barman. I got some cocaine from my friends. I gotta keep on moving, baby. has been a Cross the Streams Media Podcast.